BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I park my car, and I walk in the house, and he's not on the couch. On October 21st, 2020, Mimi Rodriguez came home from having dinner with her friends and called out to her husband, Valentino Rodriguez. So I go, Val, Val, where are you? And all the lights are on in the house. Those are the opening moments of the new season of On Our Watch, which is a podcast produced by my colleagues on an investigative reporting team here at KQED. For more than two years, hosts Suki Lewis and co-reporter Julie Small have been looking into what happened to Valentino Rodriguez because his story is part of something much bigger. He was a correctional officer at New Folsom Prison near Sacramento, where the reporting team has found use of force that's off the charts and a pattern of suspicious beatings. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Today, we're going to share part of the first episode of this powerful podcast. It delves into the difficult things that happen to the people who live and work inside New Folsom Prison, and it touches on some pretty intense topics. It begins with a death that's upsetting. So please take care when listening. Let's go back to that night. Mimi Rodriguez searched for her husband, Valentino. And I go into the kitchen. He's not in the kitchen. So I go into our bedroom and he's not in our bedroom. And I knew something was wrong. (laughs) And I, (laughs) I go, Val, Val, where are you? And I run into the bathroom and he's just, he's on his knees. He's on his knees with his head up against the wall, hunched over. And I just scream. And I, I had my AirPods in. So I go, Siri, call 911. So Siri immediately calls 911. 2045, 26, 2nd, October 21, 2020. <laughs> On the call, she's like, hello, and I go, come, please, like, please help me, I'm scared, I don't know what to do, this has happened, he's dead, please. Eventually, the police came. I don't know how fast. I think like two minutes or three, but she kept telling me, she's like, are they, they're outside. 
great job. Hang in there. They're parking right now. They're almost to you. Like seven officers ran in. <laughs> and I was always like, I'm in the bathroom, help me. And I said, save them, please save them. <laughs> the police pulled her out of the house and had her sit in the back of a squad car. They told her they needed to ask her some questions. The officer was trying to talk to me, it was this lady. And, she, and I, she's like, what happened? Then she goes, what do you, how did this happen? I was like, I don't know, but it's his job. And I just kept saying, it's his job. This is all because of his job. She goes, where does he work? And I'm like, he works at CDCR. CDCR, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. <laughs> it's this stupid job. <laughs> I just, it just, it just overtook his life, his thoughts, everything that like he stood for. <laughs> Correctional officer Valentino Rodriguez was 30 years old when he died. He'd worked for the department for about five years. Like a lot of officers, that time changed him, especially the time he spent inside the walls of this one prison, New Folsom. This is a story about that place, about broken promises and unwritten rules, and who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Go past these lights, then at the next set, turn left. Stay in the second A little more than two years after Officer Valentino Rodriguez died, in December 2022, our reporting team went to go see his family. In half a mile, turn right. We're driving from the Bay Area through rice paddies and apple orchards to West Sacramento, a city on the outskirts of the state capital. It's just everything about this case just raises questions. That's my co-reporter, Julie Small. The official cause of Valentino's death was fentanyl intoxication. But his family, and especially his father, Val Sr., still aren't satisfied with how it was investigated. You know, maybe the answers are benign, but... Mm-hmm. Because they're unanswered, yeah. I think, you know, yeah. makes you think the worst, or it certainly Val keeps going over and over it in his head, Val Sr., trying to tie up the loose ends. Yeah. We also think there might be more to the story of Valentino's death, because he was a whistleblower. He'd reported corruption and abuse by his fellow officers just days before he died. But they said no signs of... No signs of foul play. Julie's been talking to Val Sr. for the past few months. It's taken a while to gain his trust. Today, Stephen Rascone, our producer, is along to record. So today's like an icebreaker. I think so. It's my first chance to meet Valentino's parents, Valentino Rodriguez Sr. and his wife, Irma. Uh, this one. Inside, the walls are covered with photos. They've got a good-looking family. Five grandchildren at the time, and their four adult kids. And one thing about them, all four of them just sat there and talked and made <laughs> yeah. fun of each other and laughed. And the kids are really close. We're, yes. We're blessed that they're close kids. In a couple weeks, the family's planning to get together. But of course, one of them will be missing. Valentino. It'll be their third Christmas without him. I was in the fog for a good year. This is in a different fog now. <laughs> yeah. 
For his dad, Valentino's death started him on this search to find answers. From the police, the FBI, the prison, he wants to understand what happened to his son and why and who's responsible. But instead of finding answers, Val Sr. just keeps finding more questions. This thing is just all tangled. (laughs) I'm just trying to untangle it. Now, Val Sr. says he feels like a stereotype out of a true crime series on TV. The grieving parent on a quest for justice. And here I am in the driver's seat, and uh, I couldn't do it any other way. But I never wanted to be that person on TV, right? Just consumed with it. Valentino was their second child and the oldest boy. As we sit around the dining room table, Irma pulls out some of the stuff she saved over the years. His first communion prayer book, a newspaper clipping from when he made Student of the Week. I remember his third grade teacher said he was a very good writer. She told him one day he was going to be a writer and she couldn't wait to hear his stories because he used to like to write. I still have all those, his little pictures. I put all their... Irma points out Valentino in a Little League team photo. He looks about 11 or 12. She says he wasn't any good at baseball. Yeah, he wasn't very good at soccer either. And I went to all his games. I had all four kids playing. So it was like every Saturday I'm driving around all Sacramento taking them. And I tell him one day, why do you run around with your eyes closed? He's like, I would pretend I was an airplane flying in the air. And I was like, okay. I remember when I used to watch him go wrestle, he'd always lose. But uh, after he was done, he'd, he'd be talking to uh, the guy that beat him up. Yeah. <laughs> Making friends with him. Yeah, sit or talking to him. <laughs> they tell us this was typical Valentino. Goofy, dreamy, smart, eager to turn enemies into friends. After college, when he told them he was going to train to be a correctional officer, his parents were kind of surprised. They weren't a law enforcement family. But he'd have job security and good benefits. Val Sr. says he remembers the day his son graduated from the academy. It was May 1st, 2015, and he looked out over this ocean of young faces. His son was among the about 200 cadets sworn in that day. Raise your right hand. And repeat after me. This is tape from a more recent graduation, reciting the same oath Valentino took. I state your name. I recognize the badge of my office. As a symbol of public faith. Photos from that day show Valentino in his Class A uniform, creases sharp, his hair neatly combed. They promise to protect the innocent. Dedicating myself before all present. To be honest. And to hold each other accountable. Congratulations. Welcome to the family. One of Valentino's first assignments was working on death row at San Quentin State Prison, the oldest prison in California. He'd often carpool to work with a bunch of other correctional officers. And on the way back, they'd get dropped off at In-N-Out Burger. I was a cashier, and he'd come in in his little green suit. (laughs) He's so cute. (laughs) And his little boots. That's Mimi again, talking to my colleague Julie. She calls him cute, but Valentino was not a little man. 
He was five foot seven and at least 200 pounds, clean shaven with dark hair and big brown eyes. So his order was a three by three ketchupoli no salt, the cheese fried no salt, and then a large seven up. So I knew his order from the moment because, of course, you know, the cute guy comes in. I'm going to memorize his order. Mimi recognized Valentino from a party she'd gone to at his house thrown by his brother Greg. I was like, oh, how are you? And he's like, good. And I think in his mind, he's like, who is this girl? I know your brother. And he's like, what? And he was just hecka weirded out. And in my head, it's going great, right? But he started coming to In-N-Out more often, and I would give him free burgers or shakes uh, when my manager wasn't looking. And they started messaging on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, this boy texted me, or this boy messaged me. And I was like, hello, yes, hi. It was just me being all excited. Um, He was a kid at heart, very playful. Mimi says they fell hard for each other. And just two months after they started dating, her roommate moved out, and she needed to find a new place to live. I was going to move into my brother's house, but he was like, no, you should move in with me. And I'm like, no, this is kind of soon. And he's like, come on, think about it. Valentino's mom had helped him find a cute little house just about five miles away from their place in West Sacramento. Mimi moved in. And it was right around this time that Valentino got what he saw as a big break, an opportunity to work in a different prison. He specifically chose Folsom. The official name of New Folsom is California State Prison Sacramento, or CSP SAC. It's called New Folsom because it was built back in the 80s next to the old Folsom prison that was made famous by country singer Johnny Cash. Okay. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. He wrote a song called Folsom Prison Blues and then later recorded this performance live at the prison. I hear the train coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison. You can actually see the guard towers of Old Folsom from New Folsom Prison. They've got a medieval castle kind of look to them. New Folsom, on the other hand, where Valentino was transferring to, has a more industrial, utilitarian look. A lot of razor wire and gray concrete. It's a high-security prison that the state set up to accommodate people with risky medical conditions and mental health needs. It also houses active gang members and people who've been convicted of some of the most serious crimes. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California, but he described it as there was just a lot of uh, activity there with officers, with um, inmates, and he just wanted to be in there. There are a lot of infamous prisons in this country, and a fair number here in California. There's San Quentin with its death row, the state's first supermax, Pelican Bay, Corcoran, where in the 90s, officers allegedly set up gladiator-style fights between rival gangs and then shot incarcerated people to stop the fights. But as we dug through a bunch of data and public records, we realized in the past decade, New Folsom has been the most violent prison in the state. And that violence is committed by people who are locked up and officers. 
we found that in the six years after 2014, New Folsom officers used serious force, meaning they either badly injured someone or used deadly force, at a rate three times higher than any other prison in the state. This was stunning to us. CDCR declined our multiple requests to comment on this finding. I've done quite a bit of reporting on prisons, and Julie's been reporting on prisons for even longer. New Folsom just wasn't on our radar in the same way. We'll dig into those numbers more later, but for now, it's important to know that with just a year of experience as a correctional officer, this is the environment Valentino was walking into. He wanted to be an investigator in this elite squad called the ISU, or the Investigative Services Unit. A prison is like its own city, and the ISU squad are like the police force of the prison. They've got a canine unit, a gang investigation unit, a prosecution division, and one for internal affairs to look into complaints of excessive force or allegations of officer corruption. Walking through New Folsom, the squad stood out. They had special black and green patches on their uniforms. And unlike regular officers, they could bring their cell phones into work. They could also go anywhere in the prison they wanted, total access. Valentino's goal was to earn his patch and get into that squad. But first, he had to pay his dues. Officer Valentino Rodriguez's first assignment was working in the prison's psychiatric unit, guarding one of the most vulnerable and difficult parts of the population, people with severe mental illnesses. I've talked to a number of people incarcerated in this unit, and it sounds like a really tough place to be. It can be very loud and chaotic. Sometimes the people in this unit are angry and confrontational while others are simply terrified or heavily medicated. And officers like Valentino are required to get training in how to prevent incarcerated people from hurting each other and themselves. Valentino had been working at New Folsom and in this unit for just a few months when he got caught up in a really bad incident that Val Sr. says was a turning point for him. An incarcerated man ended up in the hospital with broken bones and injuries to his face and head. So investigators started looking into how the man got those injuries. We were able to get the tapes and paperwork for that incident. Just a note, we noticed a lot of inconsistencies in what people say happened. The incarcerated man's story changes a bit. One officer contradicts himself, and other officers have slightly different versions of the incident. So what we're going to talk about is on the 12th of August, Friday, you were involved in an incident which occurred in... Is that your cell? Where you were at before? Yes, sir. They're looking into this incarcerated man's allegations that officers caused his injuries and then lied about it. Valentino was asked to photograph these injuries and then take him to get medical attention. We got those pictures that he took. The man's face is partially blacked out. But you can see a five-inch gash across his forehead, and his cheek is split open from his nose to below his cheekbone. We know Valentino told the people closest to him about this incident. I remember that when it happened. He was so scared for weeks. 
When we got this recording through a public records request to CDCR, it was one of the things we really wanted to share with Val Sr. Want to hear it? Yeah. My co-reporter, Julie Small, sat down with him and pressed play on the recording. Val Sr. had never heard this interview with his son before. Which I, I can't recall. Okay. Just, uh, just We're making a face, but do you think that? Location. Do you think that he's telling the truth there? I I think uh, because I know my son. He's he has a really good memory. He's really detail oriented, and for him not to remember which side the cut was on and certain things is just to me. He's sounds like he's worried right there, scared. Mm. Valentino told him that what happened during the incident was different than what those officers wrote in their reports and told investigators. But he said he felt like he had to go along with their story. You should see his face when he come over. That broke my heart, man, because he had a job and and uh, he he told me, Dad, you have to you have to tell the same story because you're on a team. Yeah, and if you don't, then you're the odd man out. Mimi told us something similar. He was told, like, hey, you know, this is this is what we're writing. And it's important that all of us have the same story. And it's important for all of us to be on the same page. And he told me how they never really specifically said, you must do it this way. You must write it this. You must do it that. It was more of like, this is what we are doing. And this is how we're going to do it. And this is what's important for our team so we can all be on the same page. He, he felt a lot of pressure just because he didn't want to lose his job. CDCR did not respond to specific questions about this incident. A spokesperson did write in an email that the agency takes all allegations of employee misconduct seriously, and there is a new process for making sure complaints are, quote, properly, fairly, and thoroughly reviewed. The spokesperson also pointed out that there is a new system of fixed and body cameras at New Folsom. Mimi Rodriguez told my colleague Julie and me that working in the psychiatric unit really took a toll on Valentino. He would talk about how draining it was, and he would come home drained. What did that look like to you? Um, I mean, he would just drag his feet. He would drag his feet, come in, and he didn't want to eat. He would shower and just go to sleep. uh, I mean, he was just quiet. He worked double shifts so he could get more days off in a row to recharge. That's when he would talk more about work and be like, yeah, like, you know, it was a little stressful and I'm dealing with this or I'm talking about this. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to go in. And he was always very enthusiastic. About two and a half years after he'd gotten to New Folsom, late 2018, Valentino's hard work looked like it was paying off. Remember the squad that detective unit Valentino was aiming for? An officer there went on leave for PTSD, and there was a vacancy on the team. One of the supervisors who knew Valentino thought he'd be good at the job and gave him the chance to fill in. He was really excited for that. But he didn't think he was going to get that opportunity. He'd made the squad. 
working in the Security and Investigations Unit, but on a temporary basis. To get the position permanently, he'd have to impress the right people. He's like, yes, of course, like, I'll do it. I mean, he was ready. Valentino called to let his parents know he got promoted. He would call his mom first, and she told me that Val got a promotion. He told them it was a really good position, one that a lot of other people wanted, and that he was the youngest on the team. I asked him, how was your, how was your first day? Yeah, he goes, it's a bunch of older guys that had been there. He called them OGs. I said, well, how'd it go? He goes, they asked, who the f*** are you? So from the very beginning, there was tension on the team. Some of the people he worked with felt like he'd skipped the line, that he hadn't done enough to prove himself. He just continued to just put his head down and work. And I think that's what really bothered him, that he would just try to do the right thing, and it just didn't seem like it was enough. Valentino was making busts and working cases. But to some of his co-workers, this might have made him seem like even more of a threat, because higher-ups were noticing his work. Valentino was getting a reputation for being a diligent investigator, thorough, and for writing really good reports. This was a big deal because paperwork, reports, are hugely important in prison. Officers need to document everything. Gang affiliations, medical needs, disability status, history of suicide, fights with staff, and so on. And these reports are also the basis for disciplinary action, like sending someone to solitary confinement or charging them with a new crime. These reports hold a lot of power, and it is a crime for an officer to falsify an official report. Valentino wanted to keep moving up in this system and expanding his skills as an investigator. On the weekends when he wasn't working, he'd pay out of pocket to go to these training events and seminars. And during these trips, he became friends with a guy named Sergeant Kevin Steele. Steele passed away in 2021, so we couldn't interview him, but Val Sr. came to know him well. He was uh, about 5'7". My age, maybe a little bit older. He was in good shape, you know. He shaved his head and stood straight up. Picture a Bruce Willis type in his 50s with intense bright blue eyes. He was a military veteran and a straight shooter. Sergeant Steele also worked in the ISU. He was senior to Valentino, but he was in a different division. He was in the prosecution division. It was his job to prepare cases for the district attorney to bring criminal charges. Very passionate about his job and loyal. He was very, very important to that prison for a good reason. The two officers really respected each other. Both of them were kind of law enforcement nerds, committed to going the extra mile. Valentino would testify in court for Steele's cases. All that extra training meant he was a great expert witness. And Steele became one of the few people Valentino trusted, a mentor and someone he called regularly for advice about criminal case protocol or how to handle evidence. Things with the other guys in his division, however, were getting worse. Sometimes he would text the guys for help and they'd have their own group texts and they would, like, they, wouldn't, they didn't want to help them. Some of these group texts are pretty awful. They mock his weight and call him half-patch to remind him he's still just a temporary member of the squad. These things that you saw after he died? Mm-hmm. Only after? He never, he never said, look, Dad, look what they're saying. He just never. 
But these messages would escalate even further before they stopped. The brotherhood, the family that Valentino had been promised at his academy graduation, was nowhere to be found. That was Suki Lewis with an excerpt from the first episode of the new season of the podcast On Our Watch. You can catch all of the episodes wherever you get your podcasts. On Our Watch is a production of KQED, and the podcast is edited by Victoria Mauleon, who's also our senior editor here on the California Report magazine. The On Our Watch team also includes Julie Small, Stephen Bascon, Chris Aguza, Tarek Fuda, and Jen Chien. The California Report Magazine's team includes Brendan Willard, Susie Racho, Jessica Carissa, Catherine Monahan, and Lucen Mendel. And I'm Sasha Coca. You can catch all of our California stories on our podcast, The California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 